0: Tonight, we're going to be looking at something that I was going to mention kind of in passing at the beginning of the message and then move on into something else. But the more that I was preparing it for in passing, I realized this is more than in passing. Apparently, this is what I'm supposed to teach on tonight. So that's uh, what I'm going to be doing. And I'd like you to open first. Psalm one hundred twenty two. Psalm one twenty two. I want you to I want you to be there, I want you to see this. Psalm one twenty two. Those of you watching, you know, same thing. And I'm I'm hoping that all of you are there or really close to being there. Psalm one twenty two. Take a look. One verse, verse six. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now really, you could read that, pray for the peace of Israel. Because that's really what it comes down to. They shall prosper that love thee. That right there should tell you bundles. This has nothing to do with the law of Moses. Nothing. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I don't do that every day, but I do. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Do you realize this is a promise from God? And God is up in heaven and he, he said now, a few thousand years ago, he said, all right, hello world. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Then he says, by the way, if you love Israel, Jerusalem, you'll prosper. I think that's pretty simple. Like, wait a second. You're telling me that all I have to do is be in favor of of Israel, and I prosper. God says, yep, that's right. You mean this promise has nothing to do with tithes or offerings? God says, yep, that's right. You mean all I have to do is be on Israel's side and I prosper? God says, yep, that's it. God, that sounds pretty simple. He says, it is. I made it simple. Because anything complicated, you can't handle. (laughs) Well, God, He knows. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. I don't know where you stand on this. But... I love Israel. I've never been there. Hopefully, I'll go someday. I'd really like to. And to be perfectly blunt, I'd like to go over there for more than just a one-week vacation. I'd like to be over there for two, three weeks. Maybe even a month. To see everything. And... No, I'm not going to be taken in by the people that want to sell me a splinter from the cross on which Jesus was crucified. Oh, here, right here. This is a rock that Jesus cried on when he was in the garden. Oh, don't you want this? On the bottom it says made in China. No, I don't think I want them. <laughs> when did he go to China? <laughs> But yes, I would like to go over there. And I really don't care if I get baptized in the Jordan River. I've heard it's kind of dirty. And I don't care if I get baptized in the Red Sea. By the way, you know what's interesting? The Red Sea, it's disappearing. Seriously. I'm not going to go into all that. Just go online and look it up. The Red Sea. Dead Sea. Okay? I mean, it's... It's disappearing. It's kind of, anyway, like I said, I'm not going to go into that. It's really an interesting thing to read about, though. Nevertheless, those kind of things wouldn't really interest me. I'd like to see those things. And, um, you know, might even try to test my faith. You know, stand in front of it and and take a a staff and raise it to see if it'll part for me. (laughs) I'm joking. I wouldn't do that. Nevertheless, I'd like to get over there. The thing is, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. One of the things I would do if I ever had the opportunity to go over there, I'd stand somewhere, I don't know where, I would stand somewhere, and I would speak blessings over that country. Now, I know we can do that here. But what I'm saying is, if I were over there, I'd take advantage of that specific situation and just declare Call revival. Just, I would just speak blessings over that land. Now look over in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Look at verse 18. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Now I'm not going to go real deep into the prophetic imagery of so much of this. But the message in this one today would be, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. From one country to another. Or God speaking to the nations of the world, He's saying, do good in thy good pleasure to Zion. Do good. Do good to Israel. And then he says, build down the walls of Jerusalem. Do you know what that represents? You better be sure that Israel's defenses are built up. One of the best things that this country could do is everything possible to make sure that Israel's defenses are built up. However, I'm not so sure they really need it. At the end of the message tonight, I'll explain why. I'll pass along some information to you that our media has not made public, but our government and our military know. And a friend of mine who is retired from, let's just say retired from the U.S. government, has access to a lot of this information. And every now and then he sends some to me, and it's pretty eye-opening. Nevertheless, that's at the end of the sermon. Um, Look in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Here's where it all starts. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. You know what? You're you're foolish if you don't try to get in on this. He says, I'll bless them that bless thee. Okay? Look, I may not be the head of a government with the ability to send any kind of aid necessary to help Israel. But I can speak a blessing from where I am. You know, Father, bless that nation. I mean... Just, however, just ramble off, rattle off blessings, but then, God says He'll curse him that curseth thee. Good glory, you don't want that. You, listen. You got, I'll get into some of this a little bit more later on, but you got people out there, honestly, they're nuts for speaking out against Israel. I mean, Lunatic nuts. You, you know, crazy nut. Just, I mean, out there whacked out. When, if you start cursing Israel. Now, let me just say something right now. I already know that not every decision Israel makes is the right decision. I get that. There are a lot of politics that get involved, so on and so forth. But we're talking about the broad scope of things, okay? It's, you don't have to agree with the decision they made. But the one thing you don't want to do is curse that nation. You, you do not want to trash them. You just don't want to do. You can say, well, I, you know, I disagree with that particular decision, but I stand with that nation. God says, it's almost like God is saying, you know what? As soon as somebody opens up against you, the rest of you all to stand back. I'm going to get involved. Now you can't win that battle. (laughs) You're not going to win going up against God. I mean, an anointed angel tried it. And it didn't work. He got kicked out. Even had a name change. Now they call him Satan. You don't win a battle against God. And God says, Abram, I'm going to show you this land and I'm going to give it to you. Now there's a lot of this history here in Genesis that we're not going to read, but in essence what God was saying was I'm going to show you this land, we now call it the nation of Israel. I'm going to show you this land and I'm going to give it to you and it's, you know, it's what I'm doing. I, am, I, God, am creating a nation and I'm doing it through you, Abram. So just Just do what I tell you to do, and it's all going to work out. Now, the land mass that's currently known as Israel, if you look at it on a map now, that is not everything God promised to them. Some of it's been taken away from them. And, you know, you've got a group called the Palestinians, who, quite frankly, they're not even a genuine people group. They are a man-created terrorist organization And they call themselves a country. No, they're not. Not at all. Now, God is saying, here's where we begin, and I'm in on this. Now, God, Israel, the land of Israel, that nation is the only nation that God has started. Man started the United States, but dedicated it unto God. And so he was involved with it from that perspective. But as far as God saying, I am going to create a country, this is it right here. This is the only one. Now, take a look over in Genesis chapter 14. <clears throat> in verse 1, it says, It came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elasar." Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemabar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. Well, you jump to verse 12, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed, and there came one that had escaped, and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. Now notice here in verse 13 it says, He went and he told Abram the Hebrew. This is the first time the word Hebrew appears in the Bible. Right here. Now, this word Hebrew, it is... Um, its origin is the name of this fellow named Eber, who was a Shemite. And Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Now, I want you to see this. Turn back to Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis Because we're going to kind of tie this in a little bit later on. we will kind of wrap things up. In Genesis chapter 10 verse 1, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were the sons born after the flood. Verse 21, unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder, even to him were children born. Now look in Genesis chapter 11 verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. Now, all of you in here, are you men? You're not yet a hundred years old? Look, what is awaiting you? <laughs> yeah, right, Brother Martin. <laughs> and then in verse 11 it says, As Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad. 500 years and begat sons and daughters. And it goes through and so and so um, was born and and you know his son was this and his son was that. We jump all the way to verse 25 and Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters and Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor and Haran. So what we see then is Abram, who became Abraham, is a descendant of Eber, who is the descendant of Shem, okay? And the word Eber is the word from which the word Hebrew came into existence. Now the word Hebrew, and this, you know, for me, I found this really interesting, is that Hebrew, that word later became a term used in reference to the Jewish people as a whole, but not only that, it actually became the word or the reference of an entire language, both spoken and written. Now, I just found that interesting because it all goes back to this guy, Eber, who goes back to that guy named Shem. Alright? Now, the first time and, and you don't have to look this one up, but the first time the word Jew appears is in Esther chapter two, verse five. And then the first time the word Jews plural appears is 2 Kings chapter 16 verse 6. And the word Jewish, the first time it appears in Scripture is Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Now I was kind of surprised when I found that I thought you know, it was going to be somewhere in the Old Testament, but no. Not until the New Testament. Well originally the word Jew meant a descendant of Judah. Now Judah was one of the tribes of Israel. So originally the word Jew meant a descendant of Judah. And then it became a reference to the people who lived in the land of Judah. Even if you weren't a descendant of Judah, if you lived, if you were a citizen in that land, well then, you know, you got referred to as a Jew. But it is now a reference to an entire people group, the Jews. Now I find it interesting, again, to me interesting, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. So the word Jew evolved from simply meaning a descendant of Judah to now being an entire people group that we associate with a land mass called Israel. And speaking of Israel, uh, turn over to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. Now, the word Israel first appears in Scripture here in this chapter. And it's, uh, we pick it up in verse 22. You know, Abraham had a son, Abraham, Isaac, and his son was Jacob. So what we're reading about here is an encounter or it involves Jacob. And in verse 22, it says that he, Jacob, rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So this is the first time that we see this word or this name, Israel, and it's where Jacob had his name changed. Now, the word or the name Israel, it's got an interesting background because it comes from, it's actually, uh comes from like a compound word. It comes from Sarah, which means to prevail and to have power, and the word El, which means God. So when you put those two together, you have Sarah El, which obviously You know, that it's where we get Israel, you know, Serael, that's where it came from. And that phrase or that word, that name, Serael, it means he will rule as God. He will rule as God. Now, I want you to see this uh, prophesied. Look in Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel or from there. The mighty God of Jacob. Now Jacob, his name is what now? Israel. Remember that? And so he's saying from this, from Israel, is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. See this? Now, look in Isaiah 28, and you'll see this prophecy kind of restated from a different perspective. Isaiah 28. Give me a moment to get there because I want you to see it. Isaiah 28. Verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. And then if you look back in Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And in verse 22 it says, The stone which the builders refused is become the head stone of the corner now jesus made reference to this in matthew mark and luke but if you turn over to ephesians chapter 2 you see this prophecy fulfilled the prophecy that goes all the way back thousands of years to genesis 49 in ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See that? Now, that's all kind of a brief background on the nation of Israel. That alone should tell you there's something going on between that landmass and God. And it has, now get this, it has nothing to do with the law of Moses. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because everything that I've read to you, all took place before Moses was even born. All of the promises, you know, the, the cornerstone laid in Zion, I mean, all of these things took place before Moses was born. Now granted, God did prophesied through Isaiah, who was after Moses, but that prophecy was essentially a repeat of the prophecy that started back in Genesis chapter 49. So therefore, we can't say that all of the goodness of God promised to that land mass called Israel is all because of the law of Moses. No, it's not. No, God gave the law of Moses to the Israelites to prove to them they weren't as good as they thought they were. And Paul even wrote about that. He said the law was given to expose the sin nature. Now, I'm paraphrasing. He said because, Paul said, I wouldn't have known that coveting was a sin if the law hadn't been given to me. Therefore, I now realize I'm a mess on the inside. And I need help. Who's going to help me? Thank God, Jesus Christ. He's the one who will help me. Now, I got to thinking about something. You ever heard that term, anti-Semitic? Well, I got to thinking about that, wondering, why is that a, a reference to discrimination against Jews? Because the word Semitic is not in Scripture, Old or New Testament. It's not in there. I got to wondering, why is that a term used against the Jews? Well, I'm going to give you some information. I'll help you understand this. The word Semite was derived from the name Shem. So it goes all the way back to where this started. Well, you know, Shem and then on down to Abram. The word Semite, it came from the word or the name Shem, Shemite. So, Semite kind of got, you know, changed a little bit. And Shem was Abraham's ancestor. Now, the terms Semite and Semitic, and here's where it really starts getting interesting, at least, again, to me. The terms Semite and Semitic were first used in the 1770s at the University of of Göttingen School of History located in Göttingen, Germany. Now that should tell, well, I'll get to that. Now this, this, the prejudice against the Jews, it didn't start with Hitler. It was going on for a long time. Listen to this. In an article written by Ernest Renan, in 1859, titled, quote, New Considerations on the General Character of the Semitic Peoples, in particular their tendency to monotheism, end quote. Monotheism, the belief in one God. In that article, he stated, the Semitic races are inferior to the Aryan because of their monotheism, which, Renan said, arose from their supposed lustful, violent, unscrupulous, and selfish racial instincts. So you can go all the way back to 1859 and find a written declaration of anti-Jewish sentiment. So it didn't start with Hitler. It went way, and it was actually before 1859 because Renan wrote that. In 1859. So it existed prior to that in Germany. Now, in 1879, the German journalist Wilhelm Marr began the politicalization (laughs) I, I learned a new word and I still don't think I pronounced it correctly. The politicization of the term Semite or Semitic Semitic, by speaking of a struggle between Jews and Germans. Now, this is 1879. Speaking of a struggle between Jews and Germans in a pamphlet called, now bear with me, Der Weg zum Siege des Germantums über das Judentum. Huh? You've heard of that, right? (laughs) And all the German-speaking people are out there going, ah! (laughs) Translated into English, it means the way to victory of Germanism over Judaism. This was 1879. He accused the Jews of being liberals, of people without roots who had Judaized Germans beyond salvation. Now, this guy wasn't a Christian, okay? He's not preaching Jesus here. He's basically preaching the superiority of the Aryan race. Now, in that same year, 1879, Mars adherents founded the League for Anti-Semitism, which concerned itself entirely with anti-Jewish political action. So what we saw happen in World War II with Hitler, that was just some of the fruit of what had been going on in Germany ...for maybe almost a century. So, you know, we want to hammer on Adolf Hitler, which I I understand why. But this was going on for a long time. Now, here is what is uh, very concerning. Anti-Semitism is rising rapidly throughout pretty much all the European nations... Canada, the United States, Russia, Australia, South Korea, and many others. Now, what what I was going to do, I was going to read um, a number of incidents that have taken place, but it's overwhelming. Just go online. And, oh, here's... If you really want to get more insight on all this, go online and look up Jewish-based... Um, news sources uh the jerusalem post and other jewish based israel based uh websites and so forth you're going to read things that you have not read or heard in our media here it is unbelievable rabbis have been attacked in this country just attacked jewish people have been attacked um in portland Jewish-owned businesses have been attacked. And not just in Portland, but other places here in the United States. Jewish people have been attacked and beaten just because they are Jewish. It's happening here in the United States, but it's going on in other countries. One of the uh, reports I read said that um, in Canada, there were 250 documented attacks on Jews in the month of May alone. Now, I'm not picking on Canada. This stuff's going on everywhere. Everywhere. But it's not being reported. It's not going forth. Now, um, look over in Psalm 121. But what is worse than all of this is the fact there is a rising sense of anti-Semitism taking place in the body of Christ among people between, well, under the age of 40. It's increasing in churches. They stand up and preach Jesus, but then this other stuff is rising up. Now, Psalm 121, verse 4. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, that word keepeth comes from the the Hebrew word semar, and it means to watch over, guard, take care of, protect, and put a hedge about. Now, you don't want to be messing with Israel. You, you don't want to do this. And here's the thing. If you're truly born again, how on God's green earth can you be anti-Israel? There, I mean, that is a contradiction. Total contradiction. It's horror. You, you cannot justify that. Now, I don't know at what point something like that might cut you off from God for all eternity. But I do know this. You cannot... Stand up and talk about, oh, Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, and then blast Israel and blast the Jews. You can't do that and get away with it. This is horrible, but it's going on, and it's been increasing, and it's been hidden in our media. Now, I want to read something. Now, what I'm getting ready to read to you, it is... It's not classified information that somebody, you know, was able to sneak out of our military reports. This is, um, if you dig around on the Internet, you'll find it. But this is what my friend sent to me. Well, it's part of what he sent to me. Don't have time to read the entire um, letter. But this exemplifies just how stupid... It would be for any nation to go up against Israel, including the United States. I'm talking in a military way. If you want to get your butt kicked, just go up against Israel. What I'm going to read to you right now, this is just the tip of the iceberg on how they are ready for war. In November of 2020, the nation of Azerbaijan, how many of you know that's a... I I remember, I thought it was a city... But then I realized, no, it's not, it's actually a country. Well, the nation of Azerbaijan's use, well, okay, what happened was this in November of 2020, Azerbaijan and Armenia, they were having a military conflict, all right? Well, the nation of Azerbaijan's use of Israeli-supplied IAI Harap drones proved decisive. And in this report, it said the drones, now get this, which can operate autonomously. Now, what that means is they have been programmed what to look for and then look for it and do their thing. And nobody at headquarters needs to sit there with a toggle making them do something. This is advanced warfare, the likes of which we've never seen. But the drones, which can operate autonomously, circled over Armenian defense lines until they could detect a radar or heat signal from a missile battery or tank on the ground. Then they dove down and crashed kamikaze style into the targets. The Armenian modern tanks and jet aircraft were helpless against the small and lightweight drones which were difficult to detect and harder to shoot down. The drones shattered the morale of the Armenian forces. During the conflict, Azerbaijani and Armenian soldiers rarely even saw each other. It was a very different kind of war and likely a preview of wars between state actors in the future. In other words, nobody has to pick up a gun. You program the drone... And you send the drone to go fight, and the drone does the things. And here's there there is more to this and I'll just I'll reference it, but I didn't bring it here to read it. Some of these drones are being programmed with such advanced technology that when they engage other drones in battle, they can detect the programming in the other drone and send a signal to cancel it out. Which means the other drones from the bad guys can do nothing but just fall to the ground. And the good guy drones, like the Israeli drones, just go in and win the war. It can be won in a matter of hours. No longer does it have to take years. Now, I'm not going to go into this, but if you read the book of Revelation, you kind of get a hint that some of the military encounters aren't going to take years. They're going to happen very quickly. And, okay, this just keeps coming back to me. Turn to Revelation. (laughs) Revelation chapter... Okay, here it is. Now, remember, John had this vision 2,000 years ago. And he's trying to describe things he didn't know what to describe. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh the man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and the death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, uh, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had the hair as, uh, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates, as it were breast, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. I don't know about you, but to me, That sounds like some kind of abstract drone. Now you're saying, yeah, but what's this with the hair and everything? Okay, I don't understand all of that, but some kind of advanced weapon system. And John's trying to describe this. It's like he's never even seen an airplane. He's never seen, he, he doesn't, he's trying to put this. And Anyway, the point I'm making is this. We're at a place now in history to where War is not going to be the same as it was. You can have drones programmed to go in, and they can shoot things at people. And it's talking here about tormented for five months, chemical warfare, to where you are neutralized. You're not killed, but you're neutralized for a period of time, and that makes it easy then For the drones to complete their thing. And then whoever wants to take over. Just come in and take over. Because if you are in no condition to fight. You see what I'm getting at? But there's more. How many of you remember. Here just. A little over a month ago. Israel and Hamas. Were going at it. Remember that? And the reports that we heard. Were that Israel was just. Blowing things up haphazardly. Just you know, shooting missiles and whatever got killed, got killed, so on and so forth. That's what our media was essentially telling us. That's not what happened. Now listen to this. And what I'm reading to you guys, this, this is what really happened. This is what our military has recorded, our intelligence agencies, um, in the uh, May 21, 2021 conflict between the Israelis and Hamas in Gaza, artificial intelligence-enabled weapons played a key role in Israeli military operations. It was called Operation Guardian of the Walls. (laughs) A watchman on the wall. Prompting the Jerusalem Post to label the conflict, conflict the world's first artificial intelligence war. Israeli military officials said their forces, the IDF, used technology as a force multiplier And even before the latest round of fighting, (coughs) established an advanced AI technological platform that centralized all data on terrorist groups in Gaza, primarily Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, into one system that enabled the analysis and extraction of intelligence. You say, what? What it means is they used their artificial intelligence they didn't have to send spies in to do all of this they used this artificial intelligence stuff to gain all this information on the enemy before the enemy even started doing the enemy thing are you are you with me on this now a leading role was reportedly played by Israel's famous elite cyber unit 8200 which pioneered algorithms and code leading to several new programs used during the campaign, that battle against Hamas. While the IDF had gathered thousands of targets in the densely populated coastal enclave over the past two years, hundreds were gathered in real time, including missile launchers that were aimed at Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. AI-enhanced algorithms ...sorted through this massive data to provide target sets for hundreds of strikes against key research and cyber leaders, rocket launchers, storage sites, drones, intelligence offices, and naval commando units, including several autonomous GPS-guided submarines. The result was real-time target changes during the aerial campaign. In addition... Israeli officials use special AI programs to map Hamas' extensive underground network of tunnels and weapon caches. In other words, when Hamas started this, they had no idea what was coming. And so Israel's using these drones and this artificial intelligence stuff. They know where to strike with precision. Now granted, in any war, you're going to have civilians die. That's just the way it is. But they were not launching missiles haphazardly into populated areas. They weren't doing it. It was all precision. In fact, where it talks about real-time target changes, what it meant was, Hamas can say, okay, well, you better move this stuff over here. They knew what was happening. Israel knew what was happening and just altered all of the programming, boom, to go after the stuff that needed to be blown up. And if you remember the United States and other nations began talking to Israel, you know, you need to to stop the fighting now. You know, you you guys need to make peace. Here's why. Because if it hadn't stopped, Israel was just going to keep doing all of this. Hamas, that whole area of Palestine, in other words, that entire anti-Israel region was going to start to collapse. And what was going to happen next was the... Muslim, anti-Jewish nations were going to start moving in with their stuff. In other words, you're talking about a massive war. In other words, you're talking about what some people would refer to as the Battle of Armageddon. Now, not that, that it would have been that. The point I'm making is this. Israel was ready. And yeah, they lost some people in all of this. But what we read about in our news reports is not the way it went. Israel was wiping them out. Israel was winning decisively. But the Middle East, the the anti-Israel nations, they didn't want that known publicly. And the powers that be realized, if this doesn't stop, it's going to escalate. Israel can't be stopped. They're going to win this thing. Regardless, nobody is ready to fight against them when they have this kind of technology. Look back again in Genesis chapter 12. And we'll close with this. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation as he ever. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. The United States absolutely, positively must stand by Israel. Amen. Amen. This is not a, we support the law of Moses. No. We, as far as this church is concerned, this church stands by Israel. And if you have a problem with that, Go find another church that's going to end up being cursed by God. I'm very serious about this. We do not want the poison of anti-Jewish belief in this facility, in this family. We don't want it. God has made promises to that nation, to that landmass. He's watching over it. He's protecting it. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And He's watching. And this nation, I'm telling you right now, one of the reasons this nation's had so many problems here over the last uh, X number of years, is because you've had a lot of politicians who are anti-Israel. You've got some now that have been elected, and they were elected when people knew they were anti-Israel. That's stupid. And if you're a Christian and you voted for a politician like that, man, you, you need to understand, there's a curse looking at you. You can't be blessed the way God has promised here. But you sure can be cursed. This this church, this ministry stands with Israel. We support that nation. Maybe don't agree with all the decisions they've made. But the, the it comes down to the fact that's just the way it is. Hey, look. God, if you study out the entire Old Testament, you're going to find out there were times God was pretty upset with the nation of Israel. But He never ever violated that covenant that he made with Abram. Never. Sometimes he had to give him a spanking. One time he had to give him a time out for 70 years in Babylon. (laughs) Have you learned your lesson yet? (laughs) But he never, ever strayed from that covenant. That covenant, Genesis 12, that covenant is still in force to this day. And we need to understand that. We support the nation of Israel. Amen. And uh, I'm not ashamed to say so. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. To all of you out there watching this and you're thinking, well, I ain't never going to that church. Well, that's probably one of the blessings that we'll live with. <laughs> I remember years ago when I was in high school, I had a good buddy, a good friend of mine. And um, it was on a Sunday afternoon, and we were, you know, teenagers. We went to one of these uh, arcades. You know, they had all these pinball machines and so forth. And there was this one pinball machine. I'd played it before, and, and I had this thing mastered. And I mean, I knew what to do. And we, we had it set up, you know, for two players. And so I'm playing, I'm like, on, bells are ringing, 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 and he's standing there and said, are you going to be done soon? So then, you know, the ball would go down the chute, whatever. It's like, okay, player number two. So he's doing his thing and do doesn't last long. So it's my turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ring him up, ring him up. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Well, I can remember, you know, he, he pulls the, the plunger thing back. Boom. The ball goes up and it's it's almost like as soon as it goes up, it hits a couple of things right down the middle. And, uh, by the time we were done, we had to leave to get back to church. I had like eight, nine free games racked up on that thing. I had to walk away from it. Anyway, you know, he pulls the plunger back, boggles up, boom, 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 straight down, and he he was so mad he goes, "You Jew!" Now, at the moment, the way it happened, it didn't click with me what I had just heard, and it wasn't till later. I'm thinking about this. I mean, it's much later, and I'm thinking about, you know, and it's like, wait a second. What did he say? I can't believe he said that. Here's why I said it. It's because at that time, back in the 70s, he attended Trotwood Madison High School. That area had an extremely high Jewish population, and there were a lot of Jews who attended Trotwood Madison High School. Well, it's not the same anymore. So I don't really think that he was anti-Semitic, but he was around a culture of some people who obviously were. And that had just become a term. And I remember when I when it finally hit me what he said, I'm thinking, that's terrible. <laughs> you, you shouldn't say things like that. That's just not right. Folks, we have to we have to know where we stand on these issues and according to the word of god he's told us where we need to stand we need to stand in favor and in support of the nation of israel and it's and that's that's what i do and that's what this ministry does and uh glory to god i pray for the peace of jerusalem